Courtney. Hey, Sasha. What do you get when you cross a pointy black hat with a turkey carcass? I don't know. What do you get? A witchbone. Hey, hey, make a spoopy wish. It's spoop hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. We're coming at you live on Sunday afternoon evening. It's the week of American Thanksgiving. We're making it happen. We're making it happen. You can find us, as always, on social media at Spoop Hour on Instagram and Twitter. And you can email us things at spoophour at gmail.com. Courtney, did anything happen to you this week? <laughs> and I didn't even say anything spooky. Just did anything happen to you this week? So many things happened so to me. So many things happened to you this week. And they were, frankly, spooky. So I, I put in my, because like I've started since I so often will be like, oh, I have to remember to talk about that as my spooky thing. And then I forget. I've started putting a line in my notes just called spooky things. And then I yeah. fill in like what it is to just like jot my memory. And... This week, I just wrote down my friggin' face, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> last week, actually, when we recorded the episode, I was actively itchy. I had a little bit of a rash on my face. Yeah. But I think I've talked about it. My skin, You've talked about it, yeah. Yeah, my skin is absurdly sensitive. I'm itchy. I'm allergic to everything that comes into contact with my skin. Because we I just use... assumed that it was, like, dust mites in your eye mask. Yeah, because that's, like, that's how I roll is, oh, I have a weird rash today oh, well, and it's usually like, oh, I touched something I shouldn't have, or I changed soaps or whatever. And then this rash kept persisting, and I'm like, whatever, it's just a stubborn rash. It's super itchy. And then Tuesday, I woke up, and my eyelid had kind of swollen up. But it wasn't that bad. It had just swollen up enough that I was like, uh. So I had a telehealth appointment with my doctor, and I was like, uh, uh. (laughs) And she's like, okay, stop what you're doing to treat the rash. That's clearly making it worse. Let's try these things, and then if it doesn't get better in seven days or if it gets worse you have to come in and i'm like okay surely it'll get better because it's probably just dust mites bit my stupid fucking face and then it was getting better it was getting better and then friday i woke up and the same eye had nearly swollen shut so i was like well this is worse so i made an emergency appointment with my doctor i go in i fight my covid anxiety to like go out in public and be in a medical setting and i go into the waiting room I have my mask on. I'm tense because, you know, I'm in public and I can't do anything. And I feel something on my arm. And I'm like, oh, it's probably a piece of hair. So I, like, turn to, like, grab the piece of hair that's tickling my arm. It's not hair. It's a fucking spider. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Like, 
Jesus Christ. So I like swat it off me and it lands on my fucking lap. So then I have to swat it off me again. And then I freaked out so much. I moved chairs. And then my doctor sees me. She takes one good look at me and she goes, I think it's shingles. And I'm like, Uh, what? What? But it's just itchy. It doesn't hurt. And it's by my eye. Like, can you get shingles by your eye? And she goes, it's not common. But uh, I'm going to go call a specialist because you have to see another doctor immediately because if we don't handle this quickly, you could lose the vision in your eye or potentially lose the eye. And I'm like, cool. Cool, cool, That's cool. exactly what I'll I want to hear in, right now. I'll just, I'll just be in this room crying and not able to touch my face to wipe the tears away because there's a fucking pandemic on. So I'm just going to sit here and cry. Don't mind me. Uh... And then she came back in the room, basically shoved me out the door to make it to the eye specialist. Eye specialist confirmed. I have shingles on my fucking face. So anyway, I'm currently undergoing treatment, but give thanks you're not me and you don't have shingles on your face because it is unpleasant. I'm very itchy. It hurt a little bit yesterday, but luckily the medicine kicked in and now I'm on the mend, but it sucks. Get your shingles vaccine if you are able to. I know a lot of insurances don't cover it unless you're over 50, which is stupid. But if your insurance does cover it, go ahead and get that shingles vaccine because I had a mild case in by my eye and it still could have cost me my eye. So maybe don't be like me. Don't get shingles. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ordered myself self-pity food. And after waiting for two hours, they canceled my order without saying anything. (laughs) Yeah, it really wasn't my day on Friday. No, it really wasn't. Did anything spooky happen to you? I mean, literally just now, Starbucks messed up my order and gave me coffee (laughs) instead of tea. But, I mean, I don't have shingles, so that's fine. That's true. For the rest of the week, I give everyone permission to be like, you know what? I don't have shingles on my face, so I'm doing okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess, like, two things happened in the last 24 hours. Well, okay, three things. One mysterious thing was my mom and I went to Costco today because it's easier to buy in bulk when you can share with, like, your family. Yes. But... I grabbed, um, I dug through my mask collection, and I picked out this one that my mom made me, and I got in the car, and my mom was wearing the same mask. What? Twinsies. What are the odds? Yeah, twinsies. Okay. That's, like, the nice spooky thing. The other weird thing that happened was on my way home from the other grocery store this afternoon, I drove past a sign stapled to, like, the post of a U-turn sign. No U-turn sign that said, Mark of the Beast is coronavirus vaccine. (laughs) And I was like, God damn it, it's already starting. And then the other spooky thing is not spooky, it's just that we are in a high anxiety situation in my household right now because my dog ate a box of chocolate cookies yesterday. Oh no! It was like a tiny box of chocolate cookies. Ultimately, we did all the math to figure out like what is the non-lethal dosage of chocolate that our dog can eat. And we were like just kind of guesstimating that she ate a non-lethal dose. It's been 24 hours since this happened. For the Mm -hmm. last 24 hours, we have been not sleeping and checking on her every hour and, like, just making sure she's okay. And she seems totally fine. Yeah. But then she also did this other thing that she's been doing a lot lately, which is digging in and dragging cat poop out into the hallway from the bathroom. And so I'm just like, I love you so much. You are going to make me, like, fall over and die because I'm, like, so stressed out by you. Dog ownership! (laughs) Dog ownership. She's so nice, and she's so cute, and I love her so much, but she also is evil. (laughs) Do you want to play a game? Yes. What are we talking about this week, Sasha? 
We are talking about witch hunts and witch trials, finally. Yay! Finally! We talked about doing it for Thanksgiving, for American Thanksgiving, I should clarify. Happy belated Thanksgiving, Canada people. Yeah. And here we are, doing it here we are, for American doing Thanksgiving. It. Because we realized, like, when we were talking about Lancashire before, mm-hmm. we were like, damn, the Pendle witches are cool. Wait, yeah. we've never done a What's witch trial deal? episode. <laughs> And I realized over the course of my research, I did not know a lot about the Salem witch trials. Like, I knew nobody was actually burned at the stake during those witch trials. Mm-hmm. And I knew, like, the basics. Mostly it was women. Everybody was getting accused willy-nilly. And yeah. it was real bad. But, like, the specifics, I did not know. Mm-mm. So I, I like to think that I do know a lot because I used to teach the Crucible. But yeah. also, I know that there's probably some weird shit that wasn't, like, in our textbook and stuff that I usually yeah. sort of, like, went off on when I was teaching. Because, again, I teach lit. I don't teach history. But there's always mm-hmm. a little bit of history in American lit. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for you to enthrall me with the shit that I don't know. <laughs> Yay! So to start off the mm-hmm. enthrallment, we are bringing back a vintage, like, old school, like, several incarnations ago, spoop our game. Woo-hoo! We are going to play Does That Make Me a Witch, Though? This may have been the first ever game we played. I think so. Because this was for our original Thanksgiving episode, our OG three years ago. Yeah. Where... So we're going to see how much Sasha's retained over the past three I've years. I've retained nothing because my head is always empty and I always have no thoughts. <laughs> I need to take a picture of my two pumpkins in my backyard that have just fully, fully That's rotten. your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's really pathetic. If you don't remember, does that make me a witch, though, from 2017? Here's the rules. I am going to read a series of, I believe it's 10 statements, Mm -hmm. and then, Sasha, you are going to tell me if the action or characteristic I'm describing is a trait of being a witch, or if it's just a good old-fashioned normal behavior to repel witches. You ready? (laughs) Okay. Yes, I'm ready, I think. So this is all courtesy of WizardingWorld.com, Washington Post, Faina.com, SalemCrossIn.com, MentalFloss.com, Nightbringer.se, and Commons.lib.jmu.edu. (laughs) I saw it and I was like, well, no, I have to use this. Anyway, here we go. I slept through church a couple of times. Oops. Does that make me a witch, though? Yes. It sure does. It sure does. If you missed church, like, at all, or if you were ever late, it meant you were a witch who was shirking her responsibility to the Lord. And yes, I intentionally used her there because, by and large, the people accused of being witches were women. Yeah, I was going to say, John Proctor missed church a couple of times, and people were like, hmm, suspicious, but also, okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, some men got cut a little slack. Some men Mm -hmm. did die in the Salem Witch. We'll get into it. It's not important. I mean, it is important, but we'll get to it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Statement number two. I buried a bottle full of fingernails, bones, wood, and hair under my house. Does that make me a witch, though? No, that's repellent. It sure is. That just means I'm sensibly using a witch bottle to ward off witches, which is a practice that started in the British Isles and eventually came to the U.S. But, you know, that does sound kind of witchy, right? It sounds real witchy. You guys are practicing witchcraft to, like, avoid witchcraft? Ah. Basically, the Puritans had this weird blind spot for, like, good magic. Like, it was, they considered it, like, this anti-magic magic, where, like, I'm sure they didn't consider... I am also trying to cast a spell to protect my household. They didn't consider, oh, that's a spell. Oh, I'm maybe a witch. They were just like, no, this is a good thing that I'm doing, because otherwise the witches are going to get in. 
So, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And like some of them, they'd put nails in the witch bottle and then they would bury it under their fireplace because the thought was the heat from the fireplace would heat up the nails and then the iron would repel witches. And so the witches would feel that heat and they'd be like, uh, I gotta leave. Yeah. Anyway. All my kids died, so I like to keep an eye on the kids in the neighborhood so I can feel close to them. Does that make me a witch, though? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> a common sign of being a witch was not having kids of your own or having only dead kids because it meant that you traded something to the devil and then he took mm-hmm. your fertility away. Spending time with kids that didn't belong to you probably meant you were cursing them. Which is bummer, because also if you ignored the local children, you were a witch. So, like, yeah. you really couldn't There's win. There's no, like, healthy amount. No. Like, as someone who doesn't have children of my own right now, but I'm, like, obsessed with either all of my friends' children um, or, like, I am a teacher, so I spend a lot of time around children, like, that makes me a witch, probably. I mean, right now, I have literal pox on my face. Yeah. I didn't put it in here, but, like, number one sign of being a witch is any kind of disfigurement, and it's on my fucking face. Yeah. I have shingles. It makes me a witch, though. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, I'm having an outbreak of acne right now. I'm probably also a witch. (laughs) Like, not as itchy. Yours is, like, yours is literally a pox on your face. Mine is just hormones. (laughs) Y'all can't see me, but my hair is in a braid, and it's because... The ones on my scalp are so itchy that the moderate pressure of the braid, braid. Like, takes my mind off mm. of it. <laughs> I wish I could help you, but I also don't want to see you. <laughs> That's fine. You shouldn't. I'm gross. Ugh, my milk and butter spoiled in the fridge. Bummer. Does that make me a witch, though? Yes. Yep. One of the specific named powers of a witch was discussed in 1486's The Malleus Maleficarum, and that was the ability to turn milk sour. Yeah. Ooh. So, like, if your neighbor's cow couldn't produce milk, or if your neighbor's milk went bad, witch. Witch. But that milk's been in their icebox for three weeks. Of course it went bad. Doesn't matter. You're the witch. You're the Probably witch. Probably looked at it funny, you fucking witch. <laughs> I hang brass bells from the necks of every livestock I come across. Does that make me a witch, though? No, you're protecting the livestock? Yep. I am protecting the livestock. Brass was used to repel evil spirits and witches and protect livestock from falling prey to the evil eye. Oh. So that's why, okay, I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why they probably still have bells now. Plus, like, the bell is helpful if your cow wanders off and you hear, like, clunk, clunk, clunk. You can be like, like, oh, cow's over there. Making noise to scare off other things. Yeah. Yeah. Why, yes, I am left-handed and often get out of bed on the left side. Does that make me a witch, though? (laughs) Seems sus. (laughs) Yeah, I think that makes you a witch, though. It does. Mm. As we learned in our superstitions episode from our good friend Mike, left is the bad direction. If you pass a drink with your left hand, that's bad luck. If you're left-handed, God forbid, you are a bad witch. Shame on you. Too bad all the good stuff happens on the left. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Witch! (laughs) Don't open that box. It is full of herbs, rowan, and maybe a human bone. Does that make me a witch, though? That sounds like repellent, but also human bone. Where are you getting that? (laughs) What you gonna say? Witchcraft. It's not witchcraft. Is it a repellent? It is. It's called a witch box, and it was such a popular way to ward off witches that witch hunters, who were already unscrupulous motherfuckers, 
would sell them when they traveled. So the idea was you would buy one of these little boxes and it would keep witches away from you. Where are you getting those human bones, though? I mean, if you're a witch finder, you're probably leaving a lot of corpses in your wake, so you can just, like, boop, pop off a fingertip. Probably. Don't I don't like know. That. I'm not a witch hunter. Ugh. Or are, are you? Are you a witch hunter? Because if you're a witch hunter, you have to tell you me. You have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> of course I yelled at the local children about hellfire and eternal damnation. Does that make me a witch, though? No, you're trying to protect their little souls. Of course I'm trying to protect their little souls. <laughs> I'm spreading the good word of puritanical practice and warning against sinful behaviors. In fact, if I don't scream at the local <laughs> children about the dangers of hell and sinful behavior, I'm probably a witch. A witch, yeah. I'm a bit of a homeopath, and all my neighbors can turn to me for medical advice to help keep from getting sick. Does that make me a witch, though? Are you a woman? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm a woman reading all of these, but for this specific one, I believe it's both genders. I don't uh, know. Okay. That makes you a witch, though, but a nice witch. A cool witch, not like the other witches. It does make me a witch, but it yeah. does not make me a cool witch. Just ask Margaret Jones, who would prescribe treatments to people as, like, be like, hey, if you do this, you'll stop being sick. And she was executed for witchcraft in 1648, because who else but a witch knows how to control illnesses? If you wash your hands... <laughs> If yeah. you don't stick your fingers in your mouth after you handled your livestock. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was if basically like, hey, maybe you should drink some water and like maybe you should boil your water first before you drink it. And I think that's going to help your upset stomach. And they were like, witch. Witch. <laughs> uh. Poor Margaret Jones. Poor Margaret Jones. And the Ahead last one. Check out this sweet mark on my door of the Roman numeral 10 with a line at its center. Does that make me a witch, though? No, you are warding off witches. Yep, I am warding (laughs) off witches. This is called a hex mark, which was a puritanical way to ward off, quote, ye evil spirits of deviltry. You put it on your door both to keep witches out and to show your puritan neighbors that you were worried about the witches getting in. So, like, it was just as much a performative piece because if you weren't dedicated to warding off evil and you weren't like, hey, check out my sweet hex mark, they were like, well, why aren't you worried about witches getting in? Mm. Is it because you're a witch and it's because you want them in? So. Yikes. You crushed this game. You clearly retained a lot about being I, a witch. I think what I've retained is that shit that seems like totally, <laughs> like, whatever to us these days would make me a witch. Yep. Again. And then I also have a- shit that makes me think, like, no, that's crazy. That would be witch-like. It was, like, yep. totally mundane to them. So... You know. Some of some of the other signs of being a witch. If you were an independent woman and you yep. had your own finances, witch. If you were a poor woman and you didn't have finances and you had to beg, witch. If you talked to yourself, witch. If you had a pet of any kind, witch. If you had red hair, witch. See, if you got this, angry in public, witch. <laughs> this game and our previous iteration of this game just make me want to teach Crucible again so badly so that the first thing that we do before we even start reading, I can, like, like ask like, does kids. that make me a witch, though? Yeah. Well, that and also, like, like playing a game where they're like, okay, if you raise your hand if you have a pet, like, I, you witch. know, and then all the other witches go to prison. <laughs> like, you yeah, know? like, oh, all right, let's raise your hand. Let's see those lady hands. Boom. Prison. Yeah. Enjoy prison. Yeah, punks. <laughs> yeah, punks. Oh, you're old? Get over there. Witch. Oh, you're super young? Get over there. Witch. 
Oh, you don't go to any kind of religious service, which... Which, <laughs> you do go to religious services, but you're late because you're poor and it takes you a while to get ready because your house is cold, which... <laughs> you don't go to a Christian church, which... Which... <laughs> Which is, like, Ugh. half of my kids, because, like, half of my kids are either, witch. like, Catholics and Christians, and the other half of them are Muslims. Which? And then, like, a Honestly, tiny fraction Catholics are also witches. Actually, other Catholics are also witches. Other yeah. forms of Christianity and not Puritanism? Which? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would be really funny. Yeah. Be like, okay, stand up if you don't go to a Christian church. Which? Okay, stand up if you do go to a Christian church and it's not a Puritan one. Which? <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You're all witches. You're Everyone all witches. loses. And that's what I learned from the Salem Witch Trials. So. I love it. All right. Do you want to talk Pendle Witches first or do you want to talk Salem Witch Trials first? Yeah. So I'll start with Pendle Witches. I have just a very brief introduction and I had a bunch of like little like offshoots of witch trials in Europe, but I think the Pendle Witches were the most interesting. But mm-hmm. I'll still do my little bit of introduction first about just like why this was so prevalent. So witch hunts, witch purges, witch trials are these searches, major searches, for people who've been labeled witch or there's a search for evidence of witchcraft in a town, and it always leads to moral panic and mass hysteria. Yay! Which, I mean, if you think about the Red Scare, another version, they called that like a political witch hunt, right? Mm Because it's contributing to mass hysteria. So a classical period of witch hunts in early modern Europe and colonial America took place in the early modern period or about 1450 to 1750, and it spanned the upheavals of the Reformation and the Thirty Years' War, which resulted in an estimated 35,000 to 100,000 executions overall. Holy shit. The most recent estimate was 40,000, but that's still a lot of fucking people. Especially when you consider back then there weren't that many people. Mm -mm. Like 40,000 is still a lot now, but we have, you know, 7 billion people on this planet. Imagine back in the day when they had 2 billion people on the planet. That's a big chunk of people. It's a big chunk of people. The last executions of people convicted as witches in Europe took place in the 18th century, But in other regions like Africa and Asia, contemporary witch hunts have also been reported, including in sub-Saharan Africa and Papua New Guinea. And there is still official legislation against witchcraft in Saudi Arabian law and in Cameroonian law. The wide distribution of the practice of witch hunts in geographically and culturally separated societies, so thinking about Europe you know, Africa, New Guinea, you know, South America, basically everywhere, right, has kind of triggered this interest in anthropological backgrounds of this behavior. And the fact that, like, belief in magic and divination and attempts to use magic to influence personal well-being or, like, you know, town well-being, family well-being, those are human cultural universals across the world. So it's just, like, bananas that that is, like, an idea that has, like, come up all over. And it's also shown to have similarities in societies throughout the world. And it, you know, presents this framework to explain the occurrence of, like, otherwise random misfortunes like sickness and death. And they're basically giving, like, a face to evil that happens. So it's just, like, really cool that, like, the periodic outbreak of witch hunts in, like, are, like, just, like, this human cultural universal. Like It's like every time there was a plague, they were like, vampires! You know? Right. Every so often you're doing for a witch hunt. 
Yeah, so it's like this like total universal experience across the world, which I think is beautiful, but also horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's horrifying. It's like, oh, that's nice. We all have something in common, but also, Jesus Christ, this like, is like also we have in only common. in Europe, forty thousand people were murdered. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Nervous uh, laughter. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter. What the fuck? One of my so, favorite memes. <laughs> right. Oh my god. All right, so let's talk about the Pendle Witches. So get ready Yay. for some tight buttholes again. <laughs> oh, good. Buttholes uh, no. are involved. No, no, no. I'm just talking about, like, just because just a lot of terrible things happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> so all that my... Was like, were these butthole witches? No, they're not butthole witches. <laughs> so my sources are from Wikipedia, Historic UK, and Live Science. All right. So the Pendle Witches is... A story of one of the many dark tales of imprisonment and execution at Lancaster Castle, which we talked about in a previous episode. Yay! Twelve people were accused of witchcraft overall. One died in custody, eleven went to trial, one was tried and found guilty at York, and then the other ten were tried at Lancaster. So I think that's where that weird math like makes sense now, when oh, we were like, okay. what happened where to there, the other... Where there was like, wait a second, you said this many people were hanged, and yeah. now there's more than that? What? Yeah. So I think that's what happened, where one was at York, gotcha. one died in custody, and then the other, the rest were at also, Lancaster. Yeah. when we talked about Lancashire, and we talked about... 12 witches were killed. I was like, that's a lot of witches. But now, because I've spent all day reading about the Salem witch trials, I'm like, oh, 12, please. 12. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Minor leagues. <laughs> it's amateur day at the witch trial. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, amateur witch hour? <laughs> that's our offshoot podcast, amateur yeah, witch amateur hour. witching hour. So and also of, the name of the episode. Of everyone who was tried, only one was found not guilty. It was an unusual trial in that it was actually documented in an official publication called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancashire. And <laughs> wonderful is spelled with two L's and discovery Dis- is spelled with an, with an IE. I-E. Yeah, yeah, it and is. County is an IE. <laughs> so it's very cute. I wish we would spell things with an IE again. <laughs> it's, it's so they could put hearts over the I. You know? Yeah. The wonderful like discovery of witches of County Lancashire. And all like, the lowercase eyes have little hearts instead of dots. <laughs> like, that just sounds like a, like a Disney, like, that's true. That's TV like, movie. It's a Halloween Town spinoff. Yeah. Where it's like, the wonderful witches of Lancashire County. And then they do, like, the little, like, Mickey Mouse thing where they bounce it. And, hi, I'm hi. one of the wonderful witches of Lancashire County. And you're watching the Disney Channel. Disney Channel. <laughs> bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> And the records are kept by the clerk of the court, Thomas Potts. As it was well documented, the story has remained as a well-known legend. And also, just over three centuries saw witch trials held in England, but fewer than 500 people were executed for that crime. So overall, even though Europe had a lot going on, England, this, this one was like the deadliest in England, but England also only executed like 500 people overall. And this one was a series of trials in the summer of 1612 and accounts for 2% of all witches executed. Damn. So even though it's, again, deadly in England, but... But small potatoes compared to what was going on 
in the new world. <laughs> yep, exactly. So there was a range of exceptional circumstances that led to the blown-up extent of these witch trials. Lancashire was exce- exceptional in the number of witch trials that were held in comparison to other regions who experienced the same sort of degree of social unrest and discomfort and all of that. The money that could be made from claiming powers in witchcraft in the 17th century probably caused the declarations made by the family. They may have been in competition for the best reputation in the area or best land. Oh. I think well, you're probably I accused gunning seven that. people of being a witch. So, so you know, how about you and, sit down? And this is how much land I've inherited from accusing people of being a witch. You know, yeah. But honestly, obviously, this backfired just like it backfired in Salem, and the wild ac- accusations escalated and basically were fueled by a general feeling of unrest and a fear of witchcraft across the country, and Oops. this became super notorious. <laughs> So six of the 11, quote, witches on trial came from two rival families, the Demdike family and the Chaddocks family, both held uh, headed by old pover- poverty-stricken widows, Elizabeth Southerns, a.k.a. Old Demdike, and Anne Whittle, Mother Chattocks. Old Demdike had been... That's such a rude nickname. Right? Old? <laughs> Just to be like, old. Oh, there's <laughs> old Demdike over there. She's probably like 43. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they're like, oh, she's so old. Right? And ex- at least the other, Anne Whittle, gets to be known as Mother Chaddix. Yeah, like, that, that's not that bad. The other one is old Demdike. Oh, it's old Demdike. Jesus, who raided her grave? <laughs> <laughs> so, old Demdike had been known as a witch for 50 years. At oh, that so she's point, at least 50. Yeah. It no was an accepted part of village life in the 16th century that there were village healers who practiced magic and dealt in herbs and medicines. The extent of the spate of witchcraft reported in Pendle at this time perhaps reflected the large amounts of money people could make by posing as witches. So at that Whoa. time, it was like, we're making money because we're witches. I'm thinking yeah. of kind of like, you know, in Kiki's delivery service, her mother like does like home remedies and stuff. It's like more of a she's modern era, but service. she's the she's like the village witch. Like it's okay. okay for her and Kiki and like the other witches in training to like be their town's witch and like help them out it's like how in the wizard of oz everybody's cool with glinda the good witch but the other witch they're like ew wicked boo we don't like witches (laughs) except for that one that one's okay right so it was a time when witchcraft was not fear only feared but it was also like a fascination of common village folk and also king james the first james the first had been greatly interested in witchcraft even before he took the throne he wrote a book called demonology instructing his readers to yeah (laughs) i.e demonology (laughs) or demonology rather instructing his readers to condemn and prosecute both supporters and practitioners of witchcraft the skepticism of the king became reflected in the feelings of unrest about witchcraft among the common people so it went from hey it's cool to have a village witch to now he's on the throne and it's like "Mm, maybe not so cool anymore yeah. So the king's views were then imposed on the law and the justice of peace in Lancashire at the beginning of 1612 were instructed to compile a list of those who refused to attend church or take communion, which was a criminal offense. <laughs> Lancashire up to that time had been regarded as a wild and lawless society, possibly because of the general sympathy they had for the Catholic Church. And during the dissolution of monasteries, the people of Pendle Hill openly opposed the closure of the nearby Cistercian Abbey and reverted (laughs) straight back to Catholicism when Queen Mary came to the throne in 1553. The region of Lancashire was thought of as where the church was honored without much understanding of its doctrines by the common people. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so it was with this background of unease that the two judges made their investigations and began sentencing the Pendle witches. So an altercation between one of the accused, Alison Device, and a peddler, John Law, kind of started everything off in this Pendle Witch issue. Alison, either traveling or begging on the road to Trodden Forest, passed John Law and asked him for some pins. He yeah. refused, and Alison cursed him. It was a short while after this that John Two Law... Two signs of being a witch. One, asking for something. Super rude definitely means witchcraft. Two, getting angry in public. Right. And she why just pins? signed her own death certificate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's never it never been clear if she wanted to buy pins from him because mm-hmm. he was a peddler, or if she was just going to take them from him. Yeah. But but John Law suffered a stroke after she cursed him, Oops. and he blamed he survived it and blamed Allison her powers. When this incident well. was brought before Justice Noel, Allison confessed that she had told the je- devil to lame John Law. So she was very open, like, "Yeah, I told the devil to get him." <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. She's it was like, a yeah, pun. that guy sucks. Yeah, that guy sucks. Of course I cursed him. You're welcome. A jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so upon further questioning, Allison accused her grandmother, old Demdike, and also m- members of the Chaddix family of witchcraft. The accusations on the Chaddix family seemed to have been an act of revenge. The families had been feuding for years, perhaps since one of the Ch- Chaddix family broke into Malkin Tower, which was the home of the Demdikes, and stole goods of the value of one pound. But in today's today's currency, that's about a hundred pounds. So okay. you know, yeah, that's that's a lot, I guess. Yeah. Furthermore, John Device, father of Allison, blamed the illness that led to his death on old Chaddix and threatened to, who threatened to harm his family if they did not pay annually for their protection. Hmm. Oh, so there's like some extortion so here too. Yeah, they like mob bossed it. Like, nice place you got here. It'd be a real shame if somebody cursed it. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Real shame if somebody cursed it. So anyway. the de- yeah. <laughs> so the deaths of four other villagers that occurred years before the trial were raised, and the blame laid again on witchcraft performed by the Chaddix family. James Demdike confessed that Allison had also cursed a local child some time before, and Elizabeth, though more reserved in making the accusations, confessed that her mother had a mark on her body, supposedly where the devil had sucked her blood, which left her mad. On further questioning, both o- Old Demdike and Chaddix confessed to selling their souls. Chaddix's daughter, Anne, was allegedly seen to create clay figures. That that makes you a witch, though. <laughs> you listed off, like, 30 things that make yeah. her, but, like, it's like, oh, honey. Oh, honey. After hearing the evidence, the judge detained Allison, Anne, Old Demdike, and Mother Chaddix and waited for trial. The story could have ended there had it not been for a meeting held at Malkin Tower, again, the Demdike family's house, by James Device, who is Allison's brother, who, for which he stole a neighbor's sheep. <laughs> He's like, I need a sheep for this meeting. It's those mine. Sy- <laughs> those sympathetic to the family attended, but word reached the judge who felt compelled to investigate. As a result, a further eight people were summoned for questioning and then the trial. The trials were held at Lancaster between 17th and 19th of August, 1612. Old Demdike never reached trial. The dark, dank dungeon in which all of them were imprisoned was too much for her to survive. Nine-year-old Janet Device was a key supplier of evidence for the Pendle Witch's trial, which was allowed under the system of King James. So a nine-year-old was like, here's a bunch of evidence. Mm. All normal rules of evidence could be suspended for the witch trials because otherwise someone so young would not have been able to supply key evidence normally. So, hmm. 
Janet gave evidence against those who attended the meeting at Malkin Tower, but also against her mother, sister, and brother. Oh, Jesus. Is this the nine-year-old? This is the nine-year-old being like, fuck my mother, fuck fuck my sister, fuck my brother. She's like, how much time you got? I can go down the whole family line. Right. When she gave evidence against Elizabeth, her mother, Elizabeth had to be removed from the court screaming and cursing her daughter. (laughs) Some of the Pendle witches seemed to be genuinely convinced of their guilt, whereas others fought to clear their names. Alison Device was one of those who believed in her own powers and was the only one on trial who was faced with one of her victims, the... John Law, who had suffered from the stroke. When John entered the court, it is documented that Allison fell to her knees, confessed, and burst into tears. And so, ultimately, again, at the end of this trial, after old Demdike died, Mm -hmm. the rest were found guilty, and then only one was found not guilty. I can't remember which one that was. That wasn't in my notes. But yeah, basically Mm -hmm. all of them, even if they said, yes, I am a witch, or said, no, I'm innocent, they basically all, like... Gunzo. So, yeah, so we finally know the Pendle Witches thing was like a huge, huge. That's that's a big chunk of English witch culture. Yeah, it was just, it was straight up just like a family feud that kind of blew up. There was a. There there was a celebration in 2012 that had like a. What what am I saying? Anniversary of... um, Oh, yeah, the Pendle Witches. The Pendle Witches. And there was... Oh, God, where did that photo... Oh, yeah, it was the 400th anniversary. And in... By the the Lancashire City Council created an exhibition called A Wonderful Discovery, Lancashire Witches 1612 to 2012 at Gawthorpe Hall. And they performed... The the composer David Lloyd Moston composed and played a song called The Fate of Chaddox. And it was just, like, really cool. They they did, they created, like, a life-size statue of one of the accused. They put this giant 1612 on, a, on Pendle Hill. Oh. Made out of horticultural fleece. And, yeah, it was just, like, people there are still sort of, like, like, it's still living history there. And, like, they're, yeah. they celebrate it, even though it's kind of a weird thing. But I, I just, you know, again, if I ever make it to Lancashire, like, I really want to, to see... <laughs> what happens like you yeah. know see if i can find any history stuff get a little like postcard that says i was at this the pendle witches yeah. trial you know yeah i went to site of the pendle witches and all i got was this lousy t-shirt right <laughs> yeah all right are you ready to hear about the big one are you ready to hear about the salem witch trials i am Hit there's me. weirdly a lot of parallels between the pendle witches and the salem witch trials which yeah. i was not expecting but All right, let's go. So this is from History.com, Wikipedia, Britannica.com, Salem.org, and PEM.org. In early 1692, a group of young girls in Salem Village, Massachusetts, strolled up to their parents and announced that they were possessed by the devil and some of the local women were witches. This sounded the alarm in the small village because it was commonly believed that the devil would give his buddies, witches, the ability to harm others via possession. So this was already something they're like, we know this is a thing that happens. You're telling us it's happening here. Let's do this thing. This kicked off the now infamous Salem witch trials. So let's dive let's in. Let's dive in. Woo! Woo! A quick side note about Salem. This is something I did not know that is important historical context. There were actually two Salems in the late 1600s. There was Salem Town, which was a bustling port city. Well, not a city. It was still a town, but like yeah, it was a yeah. bigger town. Bigger town, yeah. And it would that's where we now have Salem, Massachusetts. So if uh, you go to Salem now, yeah, you're going gra- to Salem 
town. Yeah. That's where my great-grandma was born on Halloween. Oh, okay. Well, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but she may not have actually been a witch, even though we were saying she was. Dang it, because there's Salem Town. Salem Village, Uh, a tiny and mostly poor farming community, which is where the bulk of the Salem Witch Trials happened. It started uh, in Salem Village, not Salem Town. Dang. I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean, they accused her people all over. She could still be a witch. She was a lady. She probably had a birthmark or a wart or a scar of some variety. (laughs) She probably got angry at least once. She probably had an animal. She had a third eye. Yeah. Uh, When I say third eye, I mean, like, (laughs) she had this boil on her forehead forever. Like, as soon as I met her, like, as she got older, it just got bigger. (laughs) So we called her third eye. So she was definitely a witch. Yeah, she's still a witch. Grandma Julia was definitely a witch, and we love her for it. (laughs) It's fine. Even though the bulk of the people in Salem Village were not wealthy, the town had a steep class divide between the Porters, who had wealthy connections to the other Salem, the thriving Salem, Mm -hmm. and the Putnams, who represented the lower-income farm families of the town. These two families frequently clashed over property and were big fans of taking each other to court. This is going to come up again later. (laughs) Wow, sounds like the Pendle Witches. (laughs) Yep. I hate this family. I also hate this family. Well, great news. We're all witches. The Putnams used their considerable influence in the community to make a man named Samuel Paris the pastor of the village's big church. When he moved to accept his position, he brought with him his wife, three children, his niece, and two slaves. A man they refer to as John Indian, and I made a face in my notes because I'm fairly confident that's not his name. No. But okay. And Tichuba, who is... Tichuba! Yeah. I love Tichuba. Tichuba deserved better justice for Tichuba. She fucking did. Anyway, and Paris was a huge, powerful figure in the community with his new role because this is church guy. Yeah, P A R I S. Fuck that guy. But he's like big Mr. Church, and everybody's like, holla. But he was also a little polarizing because the way he did church, Mm -hmm. it was very like orthodox, and he's like, Outsiders have to leave without taking communion, like, super intense. So even still, he was a bit of a polarizing figure. So this town was, like, deeply divided, and it wasn't very big. No. So, but he was a big shot. So when, in January 1692, Paris's daughter and niece started experiencing violent contortions, fits, and outbursts of screaming, it was a huge deal. Yep. Local doctor William Griggs examined the girls and asked them about their behavior in the lead-up to the fits. The girls said that after Tichuba had told them about voodoo, they had started to dabble in fortune-telling, and now they felt like something was biting or pinching them, causing them fits. Mm. Griggs diagnosed a clear case of bewitchment, and it was on. Uh. The bewitchment started spreading, too. Anne Putnam Jr., one of the daughters of the well-known Putnam family, Mercy Lewis, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mary Walcott, and Mary Warren all started experiencing similar fits. Keep in mind, these are all young women between the ages of, like, 9 and 12. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty, like, the two girls, the daughter and the niece, were 9 and 12 when they first started having the fits. Gotcha. Griggs decided to use cutting-edge medical innovations to confirm his diagnosis of bewitchment, by which I mean he consulted a neighbor and forced Tichiba to make a witch cake. Ah. We've been over witch cakes before, but in case you don't remember, Mm -hmm. you make a witch cake by taking the urine of an alleged victim of witchcraft, baking it, then feeding it to one of the pets of the alleged victim. If the pet gets sick or died from eating (laughs) weird urine baked into a cake, it means that the victim has been bewitched. Unfortunately for Griggs, but probably fortunately for the pets involved, there were no conclusive results of the witch cake test. 
But hmm. it did succeed in pissing off Paris, who was a super orthodox Puritan and saw using the witch cake test as blasphemy. So he's like, yeah. you did what the fuck now? You did what? <laughs> and instead of being like, let's leave aside this whole witch thing and focus on getting the girls better. I don't want any more of this like blasphemy thing. Mm-hmm. Instead, he decided the best way to proceed was to badger his daughter and his niece until they pointed the finger at the witches who made them sick. Mm. Finally, the girls threw their accusations. Tichaba was the first to be blamed, and since she was a woman of color in America in the late 1600s, she pretty much never had a chance of making it out of this one. No, she really didn't. No, she did. they didn't need evidence. The girls just pointed at her, and everybody was like, yep, that holds. Because yep. she was a woman of color in America in the 1690s. Like, <sighs> the girls also blamed Sarah Good, who was a local beggar who was accused of rejecting Puritan values like self-control and discipline, and instead, quote, scorning children instead of leading them towards the path of salvation. Because remember, <sighs> if you ignore children, it also means you're a witch. This There's no way like, to win. She's, she's super poor, and she's like, please, can I have some food? And they're like, witch, witch. Next in line for the blame game was Sarah Osborne, an elderly woman who may have been bedridden. Osborne garnered attention because she didn't go to church very often, possibly because she was elderly and bedridden and no one was helping her. I mean, if she can't help herself, then, Yeah, that's you know. basically the, Pur- the Puritan way was like, <sighs> I mean, if she, if she wanted to get out of bed and come to church, she could get out of bed and come to church. So she clearly doesn't want to come to church. I'm just thinking about, like, everyone who's, like... Like, chronically ill, and people, mm-hmm. like, give them shit for it, and then yeah. it's just like, well, if you tried harder, what, have you maybe tried you could harder? get out of bed. Fuck off. Right? <sighs> Don't be a Puritan. Poor Sarah Osborne also acted in her own self-interest, which was a big Puritanical no-no, because she had a romantic entanglement with an indentured servant. Mm. And it's like, how many of these men do you want to better fucking their slaves? Right. A bunch of slave rapists being like, you can't get involved with the theme, fuckers. By March 1st, two magistrates from Salem Town, which was rich people Salem, had come to conduct an inquiry into the whole witchy affair. John Haythorne and Jonathan Corwin started their questioning with the accused. Good said she was innocent, going so far as to say that she was no more a witch than the judge was a wizard, which I respect. (laughs) That's some high-quality sass mouth. That really is. Just be like, oh yeah, I'm a witch? Well, then you're a fucking wizard. How about that, asshole? Asshole. But unfortunately, because she was relentlessly questioned, she also pointed the finger at Osborne. She's like, I'm not a witch Mm -hmm. anymore than you're a wizard, but you know who is a witch? Fucking Osborne over there. Osborne protested her innocence. And then we have poor Tichiba, who just, she had such a crappy hand in life because she was already a fucking slave. They brought her with them from the West Indies, so she was probably ripped from her own family. Right. Again, she's a slave. She did not pick that. She was fucking tortured for no goddamn reason. Tichiba was bullied and badgered on the stand by Haythorne and Corwin until she finally told them what they wanted to hear. She said she had been visited by the devil and made a deal with him. For three days in court, Tichiba detailed her encounters with Satan, including his animal familiars and a tall, dark man from Boston who brought her the devil's book to sign. Which is like, obviously, this is a hilarious made-up detail. The devil does not have a logbook. No. Yeah, it's not like, can you sign the devil's yearbook? And you just write like, have a great summer, see you next year, XOXO Tichiba. No. No. The devil does not do yearbook shit. (sighs) But... When Tichiba signed it, she said she saw Good's name and Osborne's in there, alongside seven other names she couldn't clearly make out. 
Most likely, Tichaba knew that as a non-white lady and a slave, she didn't have a lot of options to get out of this with her life. No. But if she complied with the investigation and pointed the finger at a couple other ladies, she might not be convicted. Yeah. So she was doing, like, I don't blame Tichiba at all. She, I don't blame her at all for this because, awful. like, she's doing what she needs to in order to survive because mm-hmm. there are no other options for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, if, they're, if they don't kill her for this, they're going to kill her for something else. Yeah. And so she's doing what she needs to do. Mm-hmm. Justice for Tichiba. <laughs> anyway, mm. unfortunately, this is exactly what Haythorn and Corwin wanted to hear. They used Tichiba's coerced confession and testimony as an indictment of both the alleged witches they already knew about and of the other women in the community because this meant there were at least seven other witches wandering amongst them because there were at least seven other names in that book. Mm-hmm. So now they ex- need to figure out who are those other seven? Who were those seven witches? Yep. Hysteria exploded in the town because everybody's like, what the fuck? There's seven other witches other than the three we already know. Like, oh my God. Right. And more and more children and women started having the fits that kicked the whole thing off. Uh. And suddenly the people being accused were no longer outcasts and slaves. Now they were also prominent women in the community, including Martha Corey, who was a full covenanted member of the church. Oh, Martha Corey. But Corey had been running her mouth that the girl's story seemed suspect. She did not believe that Tichiba had told these children detailed stories about sexual congress with demons, and she thought maybe their accusations were less than credible. So boom, they accused Martha Corey of being a witch. Martha and Giles Corey. I love them oh, so much, and his, I always yeah, feel so sad. bad. <laughs> you should. His is sad. We'll get to him in a second. Yeah. Then there was Dorothy Good. Dorothy was the daughter of Sarah Good, one of the original three accused, so naturally that garnered her some suspicion. Except Dorothy was four. So when magistrates questioned her, her four-year-old talking was construed as both a confession and an indictment of her mother. Mm. She's four. You have to be very careful when questioning kids that age in modern times right. because they're very suggestible because they just want the adults to approve of them. So you can, if you ask them leading questions, they're going to go, yep. So if you go, is your mommy a witch? They're going to go, uh-huh. And it's so, like, oh, does your mommy dance naked with the devil? Uh-huh. So like that's where I'm like that nine-year-old in the Pendle Witches trial mm-hmm. who accused her mother, sister, and brother. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... Was that the nine-year-old, or were they, like, asking her questions like, is your mommy ever mad at you, you know? Uh-huh. Has your mommy ever stood near a livestock that later died? Yeah. Is your brother mean sometimes? Yeah. And, yeah. like, this girl, she's not e- – so, remember, in England, they were like, I mean, she's nine. That's pretty young for, you know, submitting right. her testimony. This girl is four. Four. Yep. She's this many. Bananas. Then you had Rebecca Nurse, who was a prominent figure in Rich People Salem. And you also had Rachel Clinton, who was an Ipswich resident. And she was arrested shortly thereafter, but for different witchcraft reasons. She wasn't believed to be involved in the fits, but they were like, I mean, since we're picking up witches, you're probably a witch too. So we'll just we'll just go ahead and grab you now. Yeah. Like Tichiba, some of these witches confessed and pointed the finger at their fellow accused. While this made judgy Puritans happy, it actually ended up overwhelming the local justice system. There were just too many accused witches waiting to stand trial. They couldn't keep up with it. So in May 1692, the governor of Massachusetts stepped in. And I put in my notes, don't get excited, though. (laughs) The newly elected William Phipps didn't send all the women home and profusely apologize for the chaos of the witch trials. Nope. Instead... 
He convened a special court of Oyer and Terminer to, de to decide on all the witchcraft cases in Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. <sighs> so hmm. he's like, wow, we're really overwhelming the system with all of these women we're accusing of being witches. What should we do? I know, special court. Special court. So Haythorne, one of our original magistrates, was appointed to be a judge alongside Samuel Sewell and William Stoughton, or Stockton. I don't know how you say his name, but he was a piece of shit, so who cares? Who cares? The three did not wait very long to hand down their first conviction. Bridget Bishop was convicted of witchcraft on June 2nd, 12 years after she had been found innocent of a prior accusation of witchcraft. So they waited 12 years and then brought her back in for <sighs> special like, court. You know what? <laughs> you know By what? The way, you are a witch. You are Eight a witch. Eight days later, Bridget was hanged. <sighs> Each of the witches on trial was accused by a fellow townsperson or another witch, brought to trial without a lawyer present, and most of the evidence presented was so-called spectral evidence. Basically, the victims just saying that they had been attacked in some way by specters that kind of resembled the accused. Yeah. The prosecutors held this up as proof that Satan had assumed the forms of these people and then worked his evil. So obviously they were guilty because they consented for Satan to take their form. Right. <sighs> But spectral evidence was controversial even in the 1690s when no one knew anything. <laughs> Well-respected minister Cotton Mather wrote to one of the appointed judges, John Richards, cautioning him about hastily judging these alleged witches, writing, Do not lay more stress on pure spectral evidence than it will bear. It is very certain that the devils have sometimes represented the shapes of person not only innocent, but also very virtuous. Though I believe that the just God then ordinarily provides a way for the speedy vindication of the persons thus abused. This is basically Cotton having his cake and eating it too. He's like, yeah. let's maybe not rush to judgment because the devil can do whatever he wants. So he can take on the form of somebody who's super virtuous and a really good Puritan. But then again, if he does that and we accuse the wrong people, then God will give him a way out of it. Which is like, I mean, read the room, <sighs> Cotton. Yeah. This wasn't the only legal question mark during the witch trials. Accused witches who confessed, or especially witches who confessed and named names, were spared the death sentence because the Puritans believed that God would punish them. So if you said, I am guilty of witchcraft, and this girl's also a witch, and this woman's a witch, and that dude is a witch, they'd be like, all right, carry about your day, God will deal with you in the afterlife. Yeah. The ones who were put to death were the accused witches who professed their innocence. Which is a bummer. The next month, so we're now in July of 1692. Remember, all of this started in January. It's been six months. Right. And we are in full-blown Bananas Town. Five more people were hanged in July. In August, five additional people were hanged. And in September, they hanged eight alleged witches. Seven witches died in jail waiting for a verdict. And one man, Giles Corey, the husband of Martha Corey, was pressed to death by stones when he yep. refused to plea during his arraignment. And keep in mind, Giles Corey was like 80. Yeah. He was an old man. And they were like, are you a witch? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not giving this any credence. I'm not, I don't have to defend myself. I'm just not going to say anything. And so they put a bunch of heavy stones on him until he died. And his final words were more weight. <laughs> I mean, Respect. Yeah. He but was, also, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because they kept, they're like, okay, like, you can confess now, you can confess now, and he was And he like, just, he wouldn't do it. Nope. And he said, more weight. <laughs> among the dead were Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Good. You'll remember them from earlier in the story. They were among the early witches. 
George Burroughs, a minister in Salem Village who was living in Maine, he had moved away from Salem Village. He had previously been the minister before Paris moved in, and then he, like, moved to Maine and was, like, living his life. They brought him back to Massachusetts to face trial and accused him of being the ringleader of the witches. He was convicted and hanged in August, but not before reciting the Lord's Prayer perfectly while on the gallows. This may have been the beginning of the end for the witch trials, though, because witches were believed to be unable to recite the Lord's Prayer perfectly or really scripture of any kind. Mm-hmm. So, and remember, people used to go and watch hangings. So all these people went to watch him get hanged. He just recited the Lord's Prayer and they're all like, uh-oh, yeah. we might not be hanging witches. Yep. This this might not, oops, Mm-mm. this might be bad, you guys. Public opinion was starting to turn against the witch trials, even though many people were afraid to come forward with their concerns because they were afraid they'd be accused of witchcraft themselves. Because, like, look at what happened to Martha Corey. She was like, their story doesn't make any sense. And they were like, sounds like you're a fucking witch then. Right? Increase Mather, who was the president of Harvard College and the father of Cotton, joined his son to urge that, fine, if you want to put witches on trial, you have to produce some sort of evidence like you would for any other crime. You can't just do spectral evidence. You can't just run your mouth. You have to provide, like, concrete proof like any other crime. So, can I say something about Increase Mather? Go for it. If, if anyone has read Stamped, the remixed version of Stamped from the Beginning by e- Dr. Ibram Kendi, Stamped is written by Jason Reynolds, but like in both of those, the Mathers come up in the discussion of slavery in the United States. So I just wanted oh. to say that on top of like his opinions on witches, his opinion on slavery was also like not good. Yeah. In fact, it was very it was- bad. <laughs> Like, they were kind of on the right side for witches, but, like... Yeah. Their involvement... Cotton in particular, Cotton was very wishy-washy about the witches. He kept trying to be like, well, you know, we wouldn't find them guilty because God would prove their innocence if they were innocent. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, but, like, Increase did take it one step further than his son did. Mm -hmm. And this was actually... Frankly, I'm surprised they did not accuse Increase Mather of being a witch after he wrote this. He wrote, It would better that ten suspected witches may escape than one innocent person be condemned. Interesting. Like, yeah. Honest to God, I Maybe am stunned that nobody was like, fucking witch. His son is Cotton. It's, or Cotton's then the grandson of... Oh, Cotton. I don't know. Yeah. So, anyway, don't come but up I, I will say in the lineage, like, there's they're connected to, sla- like, why slavery existed in America, too. Like, continue to exist in America. Yeah, he he was, like, Increase in particular was kind of right about witchcraft, but that doesn't mean he was a good dude. He was just kind of right about, let's maybe not charge people people. willy-nilly with witchcraft and keep killing them. Better we let ten alleged witches go than condemn one person to die. Mm -hmm. Who's innocent. Governor Phipps then finally listened, and I put four asterisks in my notes here, and we're going to get into why Uh they're there in a second. He dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer in October of 1692, so no more special court. Okay. But he maybe wasn't responding to the will of the people. Oh, no. It was maybe because his wife had been accused of witchcraft, <laughs> and he was like, I don't like this game anymore. <laughs> Jesus. And then it's like, well, you know, yeah. you started it with special court, and now those chickens have come home to roost, buddy, and they say your wife is a witch. And then he's like, I don't want to play anymore. No more special like court for anybody. I don't this game anymore. Douche. Witch trials started trickling down from there. In January 1693, so a full year after the first set of fits. So all of this has happened in one calendar year. All of this madness. 
56 people were brought to trial in January 1693 as witches, but only three were convicted, and I don't think any of them were put to death. And the cases kept going down until May 1693, when finally Phipps pardoned and released all living accused witches in prison. Finally, he was like, we're done with this. Everybody go home. In total, more than 200 people had been accused and brought to trial on charges of witchcraft. And think about it. We are in this small town of Salem. We're not in big Salem. We're not in rich Salem. We're in little Salem. 200 people is a lot of fucking people. That's like... My favorite way that they've, like, demonstrated that in all the different film and, like, stage versions of The Crucible mm-hmm. is that they're just showing, like, and, and they say this in the play, too, that, like, animals are just raining rampant, like, mm-hmm. there's just, like, cows in the street because they arrest everyone. Because everybody's everyone. in jail for witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one's taking so, care of the animal. The children's are, all the children are just, like, unattended. <laughs> like, yep. And some of them are in jail for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So. Of the 200 people brought to trial, 30 were found guilty, 19 had been hanged, of them 14 women and 5 men, because disproportionately this impacted women, and at least 6 people, including poor Giles Corey, died in jail. After four quiet years, Massachusetts decided to acknowledge the extent to which they fucked up, which is fucking revolutionary for 1600s. The Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the trials in January of 1697, which is a remarkable turnaround. Like, usually you got to wait centuries for them to be like, oh, we did a bad thing. We did a bad. Massachusetts was like, oh, we fucked up. Day of fasting. Our bad, you guys. Our bad. Later, this same court declared that the trials themselves were unlawful. And this prompted leading Judge Sewell, remember him, to publicly apologize for his role in the process. He was the only judge involved with the Salem Witch Trials to come forward and be like, this was a mistake. My bad. I'm sorry. But because he was a white dude who said he was really, really sorry and he really sorry. It was a mistake, he faced no real consequences. But he is the only one to acknowledge publicly that he fucked up. So, like... What can you do? What can you do? A few decades later, in 1711, the Massachusetts colony passed legislation restoring the good names of all those who had been condemned as witches and providing restitution to their heirs. Mm. Which, again, this is remarkably quick for justice. I can only imagine that there were some serious caveats. Like, I suspect they did not clear Tichaba's name because she wasn't white. She so wasn't why white. Would we care? Why would we care about Tichaba? But, like, the justice fact that they Tichaba. tried it all is pretty... That's yeah. something. We're we're very sorry, Tichiba. Like, Jesus Christ, they did you wrong. The damage had been done, though, and the dark history of Salem continues to this day. Mm. Like, people still go to Salem to see the witch trials. So, what was behind the witch hysteria? I wanted to get into this just real quick. Yeah, I know please, we're, please do. We're yeah. approaching the end of time. So, first, let's look at a possible explanation for the symptoms that the girls experienced, those fits that were ultimately blamed on bewitchment. Yeah. Because there were a couple theories. One was that, like, there was, like, a bird-born encephalitis where it was, like, their brains were inflamed and so they were, like, hallucinating shit and, like, having convulsions because <laughs> they got I, a weird bird it's, disease. It's, like, not a laughing matter, but also, like, when I talk about my brain being mashed potatoes, like, if everyone's brains were mashed potatoes and we were all, like, oh, you're we're, a witch. Oh, <laughs> funny you should mention having mashed potato brains and everybody just be like, oh. oh. A study first published in Science Magazine in 1976, pointed the finger at ergot, a fungus that is commonly found in rye, wheat, and other commonly used grains of the time. Oh, good. If you were to eat rye bread, 
a very common staple in a lot of diets back then, and it had been made from grain affected by ergot, you could develop convulsive ergotism, a disease marked by delusions, vomiting, sensations of things crawling on or pinching your skin, and uncontrollable muscle spasms. Fun fact, you can derive LSD from ergot to give you an idea of how much these girls were tripping balls. Wow. Like, <laughs> if ergot was the culprit. Yeah. Like, and if you think about it, so those first few girls who were impacted were all in the same family. So they were probably all eating the same bread. And they huh. all could have gotten convulsive ergotism. The spread that took over from there. So, like, they all just ate bad bread. And then they were tripping balls and twitching around because they just, they ate fungus bread. We ate fungus bread. And we didn't know because it's the 1600s and we kind of just eat whatever's put in front of us. So from those first few afflicted girls who actually ate the bread and had the symptoms, the spread would have just been a result of the hysteria. So people would hear about their symptoms and then because of the way the human brain works, if you reach that like height of hysteria, you'll have like that hypochondria where you mimic the symptoms. Uh... So if you hear about people having fits and you hear about people seeing things and you hear about people convulsing and screaming, you might pick those up as well because it's a form of hysteria. Yeah. And tensions were high. Everybody was super tense because they're like, oh, my God, witches. So everybody was already keyed up. Sleep paralysis has also been accused of causing the girls to see the ghostly apparitions and satanic figures, but... It hasn't really been delved into, and a lot of historians of this time period don't necessarily focus on the possibility of disease as a motive. Like, yeah, basically, historians have not been kind to the girls who've made their initial accusations. Right. And part of the reason is because, remember the feud between the Putnams and the Porters? Yep. Remember how they loved taking each other to court? Yep. Many of the accused were enemies of the Putnams, and one of the first accusations was made by Anne Putnam Jr., Ah! Dozens of Putnams accused a ton of people of being witches, possibly to cement their hold over the town and to gain even more of a foothold of property in the community. And if you'll recall, because they loved taking each other to court, the Putnams would have been no stranger to showing up and making accusations and giving testimony, because they loved that shit. Mm. So... That's that's just a little bit of, and there's a couple other theories. I, I know we've covered yeah. in our Egypt episode, or in our Wicca episode, we talked about how one woman thought there was an early pagan witch cult, which, yeah. like, it's basically a theory that, like, all of the women who were accused were practicing some form of paganism. Mm -hmm. It is not at all historically accurate, but, you know, it's one of the theories that was put forward. Most likely, it was just a way to exert power over people who were a little bit different or dared to speak out on behalf of those who were a little bit different. Yeah. So... There's still, like, Ew. so many other witch things that I want to, like, delve into. So, again, like, this is, there is more to come eventually. Yeah. We could just, we could cover and witches going. all the time and yeah. just keep finding like, more and I more. mean, I, I skipped an entire chunk of my notes today, and it was about Denmark and Scotland, so. Oh, yeah. There was, I had a tab open, and then I was like, I'm not going to have time because Salem Witch Trials is going to take up everything. But it was just of, like, these are the specific witch trials that occurred from, like, 1400 to 1600 in England. Right. Just in those 200 years. So that's not including the Pendle witches. That's not including all of these other things. It's just like, just that slither of time. And that's where you get a lot of witches who were burned at the stake. Yep. So. Anyway. Anyway. The limit of witches does not exist. It so, sure doesn't. 
This year, give thanks that you don't have shingles on your face. Give thanks you don't have to live in Puritan times and be accused of being a witch for having shingles on your face. Or That's breathing. what I'm thankful for. Or breathing. Yeah. Or existing in a lady body. Or being slightly different than everybody else. Or not being slightly different from everybody else, but just getting mad one time because everybody gets mad sometimes. You know. Everybody gets mad Everyone knows that well-known R.E.M. Sometimes. song. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope you have a very safe Thanksgiving. Make mm-hmm. good choices. I know it sucks, but like we got to do the hard thing now so that we can have nice things later. Yeah, it's like the marshmallow test, except instead of marshmallows, it's not killing people. So yep. be safe. Hang in there. Maybe make yourself a pie if you can. Yep. And we'll be back at you with some more spoop. And just oh God, I'm so mad at the Puritans. Puritan noises. Hey folks, this is Augie Peterson. You might know me from my short horror fiction on the Grey Rooms in Aphotic Realm magazine, or from my podcast, The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. Today I'm here to tell you about a new audio drama I'm writing, editing, producing, and starring in. Linda Listens. Excuse me? Oh, hey Linda. I, I thought you had a nail appointment today. Well, I was about to when I happened to hear some misinformation come out of that pretty little mouth of yours. What do you mean, your podcast? <laughs> well, I I wrote it, so it's mine? Is my name not Linda? Am I not listening to the problems my Twitter followers send me and doing my best to answer their questions and solve their problems? It's my show, hun. You better get that straight the next time you go talking into that fancy-dancy microphone you got there. Sorry about that, folks. Linda Listens is the tale of Linda, a middle-aged woman in search of meaning after the tragic death of her family. Once she meets her raucous neighbor, the meaning she finds may be more sinister than she'd hoped for. What the hell are you talking about? What sinister meaning? Linda. What do you know that I don't? And how you get to know before me what's going to happen on my show. You are a fictional character. You can't own a podcast. It's my show. I wrote it. Fictional. Fictional. Oh, I'll show you. Fictional. Ow. I'll show you. What the hell? Ow. Ow. Linda. That's my hair. Linda listens. Uh, you horror. Ow. Comedy podcast from Augie Peterson. Now streaming wherever you find a podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You cavern fear. I'm going to my nail appointment.